welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. start off with a quick um, announcement. Most of you know that come January, we're going to be digging into what it looks like to be a covenant community with one another. And we're going to have a potluck here, I believe, and then we're going to have an event that's similar over at um, Central Campus. And it, during that period of time, we are going to be asked to make a commitment to one another. Now, we've had people who are uncomfortable with the language of taking a vow together. Some of you have said, well, I take a vow to marry my wife or my husband, and you get a little uncomfortable and antsy about the kind of wording. But we're just going to, it's just making a commitment. So we're actually changing the wording so that it is that together we are making a commitment to be in covenant community with one another. That's just my quick commercial and announcement about what we'll be doing because we've had some uh, some anxiety around that word and I totally get it. So um, that's that. This week is the last week of Advent, which is the first season of our Christmas, our Christian calendar. And we're celebrating, when we celebrate Advent, we're celebrating a coming and our anticipation with the coming of Christ and his appearing into the world as light. For the last 10 years, Amago and a number of other churches worldwide, some 17 or so different countries, have been... Um, have been reclaiming the Christmas story, but not just reclaiming the story, but reclaiming it in the way that Jesus would reclaim it. Not just by snatching it out of the grip of consumption and consumerism, but by taking it back as Jesus would, subversively and unexpectedly. He brought, after all, the kingdom and its riches first to the poor and the marginalized and not the privileged. The king himself as Hakim said, was the lowliest of servants and a babe. He didn't come as some bloodthirsty warrior swinging a sword, but he came to an unwed teenage mother. And so we celebrate as he would celebrate, and we choose to spend less but give more and love all and worship God fully. So giving life is our theme for this year, and we've heard sermons on bread and life and water, and today we're going to talk about light. Home base for today is John 1, verses 4 through 13. Where is Liam? I want Liam to help me with this verse. Where is it? Where's my, where's my paper? Where did I set the paper? <laughs> oh, it's over here. He's like, where's my paper? Where's my paper? Come on up, Liam. Let's give my hand. We're going to read our passage together, and so I'm going to read, I'm going to begin, okay? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Wait, what? Am I supposed to start? Mm -hmm. Right here? Okay. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that, there, uh, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through him, the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children not born of a natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Thank you, Liam. Welcome. Do I leave this here? You can take that right back there. It's that Okay. Bye. Bye. I wanted to have Liam read that portion of this passage because it affects me in much the same way our reading might have affected you. John kind of comes out of nowhere in this passage. It is the weirdest thing to me. I have read this passage over and over again, and then right in the middle of this lovely thought about light coming into the world, we find there was a man sent from God whose name was John, etc., etc. And then they pick up the information about John much later. And so the writer in me says, that's kind of clunky, and it's kind of clumsy, and it just kind of flows, and then all of a sudden there's a man named John, and then they go right back into the light again. Because let me, let me read this passage to you without that part. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came into those he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, nor husband's will, but born of God. Smoother, yes? Kind of flows, right? Less cumbersome, less messy. It's a good, clear thought. But it's a bad story. Because here's the thing. Welcome to the gospel. You and me in our clunky, clumsy, holy, unholy selves plopped down right where we belong, in the middle of a story, in the middle of his story. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the great problem of life is how we handle the costly interruptions, the door that slams shut, the plans that go awry, the marriage that fails, or the lovely poem that didn't get written because somebody knocked on the door. We are the costliest of interruptions. It cost him everything. And yet, if you think about that quote from King, Jesus, in paying that cost, manages to solve the great problem of life. Because the door may slam shut, but God opens doors that no man can shut. The plans go awry, but he knows the plans that he has for all of us. And he works all things together for our good. Marriages fail here on earth, but our groom will have his bride, who is the church. And the lovely poem that doesn't get written because somebody knocked on the door, Ephesians 2 and 10 says we are his workmanship and that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema from which we get our word poem. Every poem in this room is going to be finished because every good story will give you some idea of what's supposed to happen at the end. And that passage actually says that we were 
before time finished. And so we look at this passage and we think about, we think about what it means when we're in Advent and we're looking at light. Because every good story, like I said, will give you some idea of what the story is going to end up at at the very beginning. If you watch a really good movie, you'll have some hint about the end of the movie at the beginning, and then what happens is there's this mirror of the first scene. In most good movies, you'll see that mirror at the end that calls you back to the beginning of the story. So let's look at the beginning of the story in Genesis 1 and 3 and 4. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, John 1 is a mirror of that passage. And so when we look at the beginning of John, let's look at verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you were to look at Genesis, you would think that the gospel is a story about light being separated from darkness and overcoming it, right? There's this battle between light and dark, and light wins. There's this battle between good and evil. But it's interesting when you look at this passage in John, it says, in him in life, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Then it says, the light shines, present tense, in the darkness, and the darkness has not, it should read, had not, did not overcome it. Present tense for the light shining, past tense, completed action for the light not being able to overcome it. That's not a typo. English is a very limited language, but what happens in this particular passage, what it means is that the light continues to shine. It's continuous, nonstop action. The light is shining, and the dark couldn't overcome it didn't understand it, couldn't grasp it, so it quit. Here's what I'm saying. If this is a story about light overcoming dark, then the story's over. Because light always overcomes dark. It always wins. There is no dark room that you walk into and you bring light into that room and then the light goes away, right? That doesn't happen. It's physically, it's spiritually, it is impossible. And so that's what this passage is saying. This is not a story about light versus dark, about good versus evil. This is not George Lucas and Star Wars and Jesus is not Luke Skywalker and God is not George Lucas. Because then that gets a sequel after sequel after sequel. This is it. This is the only story there is. Light, darkness gone. This is not a story. The gospel is not a story about light fighting with dark. Any more than Satan is a counterpart to Jesus. Satan's an angel, a fallen angel. He is not even in that league. And so the goal is here to look at light and realize that it's not a story about light per se so much as it is a story about choosing light. Let's look at verses 12 and 13, because then here we see the end of the story in John 1. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, read power or privilege, to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision, but born of the will of God. So the goal is for us to choose light. It's not just a story about light. It's about us choosing light. This light comes into the world in Christ. He is the light, and it's about choosing him. It's about that becoming our life. There's an interesting story that happens in John 3 a couple chapters later. And Jesus, we think about John 3. What's the first thing we think? John 3... Exactly. John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. And and we say it like it's just it's like that, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We all know this. We tell it to people, we think that, okay, there it is, there's the Bible. But that verse comes in a really great passage where there is darkness. It's night. And Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, sneaks out of his house and through the streets to come over to Jesus' house to see Jesus. And under cover of darkness, he says, you clearly must be from God. What's the deal? And Jesus explains to him exactly who he is and what's going on and that he must be born again. How can I go into my mother's womb, he says, and be born again? I don't understand it. And then Jesus says something very interesting to him. Jesus says, we speak what we know and testify and what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He says, before that passage, he says, aren't you a teacher? You come to me and you call me rabbi and you say to me, how can this be? At the end of the day, what I'm telling you is that I'm light and I'm standing here and you don't understand me. You don't get it. Light is right here in front of you and you can't see it. And you are a Pharisee. You are a teacher of the law. You understand and you come to me and you say, clearly you must be from God. I just don't get it. And Jesus says, what I am right now, he says, you don't believe my witness. That word is key. Because what does it say about John the Baptist, that clunky, clumsy insertion into that passage, that he was not the light, but that he was a witness. So now here's Jesus calling himself a witness. In the book of Revelation, we find him being called the faithful witness. So what is a witness? What does it mean to say that somebody is a witness? It doesn't just mean that somebody just says a thing. Jesus says, we speak what we know. And we testify of what we've seen. That is what a witness is. And so John the Baptist is a witness to the light. And how do we know he's a witness to the light? What we find out later in the book of John and also in the book of Luke, we find out that John the Baptist is this guy who saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a, like a dove. He was told, the one who is coming, you are the voice crying in the wilderness, and the one who is coming, you're going to see the Holy Spirit fall on him like a dove. Now, I'm, I, there are a couple questions I have here. First question is, if the light came into the world, why did we need John the Baptist? Why is John there? Light's there. Why do we need John the Baptist? We need John the Baptist because Jesus says, 
if our deeds are evil and men loved darkness more, it's not so much that they couldn't see the light, it's that they didn't love the light. And so they hid from the light because the light exposed them. This is what he tells Nicodemus. Men's deeds are evil and so they're afraid of the light because they don't want people to find out. And it's interesting that he's telling him this when Nicodemus sneaked over to his house at night in the dark so that nobody would see him. And then Jesus is like, yeah, that's kind of how it happens. And so Jesus is telling him all this stuff and he's missing it and he's not seeing it. Why? Because he was in darkness. Now, don't be too hard on Nicodemus because at the end of the day, we all have our darkness. We all have our stuff that we don't want to expose to the light because we're afraid of what will happen when we are exposed, right? There's not a person in this room that doesn't have some darkness that they deal with and that they would rather not have exposed to the light. And so I have a lot of of things that I can relate to with Nicodemus. But the second thing is, the second question that I have is, not only why do we need a John the Baptist, but how did John the Baptist see all of this? Light came into the world. John the Baptist saw it. He saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. Well, how did that happen? It happened because John the Baptist was himself filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. We find out in the book of Luke that Mary went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth is John's mother and she was carrying John. She was six months pregnant and it says that the baby leapt in her womb and was filled with the Holy Ghost from there. And it was that spirit that filled him that made it possible for him to recognize the light and then follow after it and run after it and allow it to to define his entire life. And so what we hear John the Baptist um, saying, let's look at John 1, 32 32 to 34. John gave this testimony. There's that word. I saw the Spirit come from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. He saw and he testified that Jesus was God's chosen one by the Holy Spirit. Now I had the joy and the privilege of preaching about the Holy Spirit on Pentecost right here in this place. I think it was last year. might have been last May. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the Holy Spirit is that it came to all of us, but it came to each of us. And I talked to you guys about what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts 1.8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you will be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This is what we're empowered to do, to become witnesses, to tell the world what we have heard, to show the world what we have seen. That if you are a witness, let's think about this. The word itself actually comes from a legal term in the Old Testament. And when you think about what it means to be a witness, what do you think about when you hear the word witness? Talk to me. Yeah, somebody said telling the truth. Now that is the key thing about what it means to be a witness because nobody expects a witness to lie. That's not legal, right? 
So you go from being just regular old person who's just talking. When you become a witness, it is understood that what you are saying is truth and that you are taking a side as a witness. You are telling the truth about a particular thing and you are verifying that the thing you're talking about is in fact truth. Because nobody decides to become a witness for somebody that they think is lying, right? What else do you think about when you think about a witness? It's a first-hand account. We are speaking about what we've heard and what we've seen. What we've heard, not what you said, she said, she said, what I said. It's like, no, what you heard. Somebody will walk out of here and say, Michelle said this. Now, if she gets up on the stand and says that somebody's going to say, that's hearsay. But when you get into your closet and you pray and you talk to God and God says something to you and then you come to me and you say, Michelle, God said this. You are speaking what it is you hear by the Spirit of God. And so we're called to that. We are all called to be witnesses. And to be a witness of the light like John the Baptist is, is not just to connect yourself and not just to be a witness and not just to say that it is true, but it also means to commit yourself to it. Because it's when you were a witness back in the day, if you lied about a thing when you gave yourself as a witness, you got punished for that. And those people who said that Jesus was the life and Jesus was the light and Jesus was the Son of God, many of them died for that. John the Baptist was beheaded for that. Hebrews 11 is riddled with people who died for that. Witnesses gave their lives, put some skin in the game. We're not just called to talk about Jesus. We're called to put some skin in the game. We're called to put ourselves in there and say, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to this. It's interesting that the word for witness in the Bible is used over 200 times in the New Testament, and it is the Greek word from which we get our word martyr. So to be a witness is to say, I put my life on the line for this. I put myself on the line for this. And so as we walk into the new year and we're going to talk about what it means to be a covenant community, what we're actually saying to one another is the light that we bear witness to and bear witness with one another. We're saying, I'm saying I put my life on the line for you. I, I care about, I'm putting some skin in the game with you guys. When I stand here as, as a pastor, as a shepherd, the, the Bible says in John, the, the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Can I call myself shepherd if I have no willingness to give my life for the sheep? Spare me, pastors who don't like sheep. <laughs> I do not understand it. Well, I do understand when they don't like them sometimes, but I don't understand when they don't love them. I don't understand you not put, giving your life for them. I don't understand that. Because if we're called to be witnesses to one another for one another. That's what we're called to. We're called to actually allow our lights to shine in the world because we are witnesses to the very light that came and now lives in us. 
And that looks like different things to different people. It looks like different things in different places. It looks like different things when we have different opportunities, but it always looks like what Jesus said to Nicodemus, which was, it is that person who embraces and stands in, and Jesus calls it in the NIV, he does the truth. That's kind of a cool phrase. He does truth. The person who does truth and doesn't shun the darkness. A witness is a representative for the side that they are witnessing for. I have a friend, her name is Liz. Some of you know her name is Liz Weiss, and she is a singer. And Liz is just, she is this amazing human who I listen to and I know that she's just repeating what God has said to her. And she has given her life for this. And so God moved her into um, a music career, nothing that she expected to be a musician, no expectation to be that. But here she is singing and singing and opening for the temptations and singing at jazz clubs and doing this stuff. And somebody told me a story recently. It's hearsay. Somebody told me a story recently about how Liz was singing in a nightclub and she kind of took a break and was talking to the talking to the crowd and she told them, she talked to them about something that had to do with the right and something that had to do with the left and she said, I can feel the tension in the room rising. And she said, but I'm neither on the right or on the left because my kingdom is not from this world. Now she's in a jazz club saying this. And people come to her afterwards and say, I saw him. I heard him. I felt him in you. And it doesn't occur to her not to do it. When it comes up, it comes out. When the light wants to shine, it shines. And that's what it does. Sometimes life feels like wilderness, doesn't it? Sometimes life feels like this place we need to cry out from, make way for the Lord, make the way straight for him. Sometimes it feels like there's no light in all of the darkness. But the prayer becomes, what have I heard? What have I seen? What do I know? Say those things. Speak those things. The darkness does not win. Here at this table is a witness to why the darkness cannot win. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ becomes our witness, becomes the way we live our lives. And if you don't know this, then I would exhort you to spend some time praying with somebody who can tell you what they have seen, what they know, to speak those things out into this world. Let's pray. Lord, what would this place look like if we knew and spoke and lived like we do, like we do know? What would this church look like if we were all witnesses, what would this church look like? Father, it is my hope that we will know and know soon that this would be a church that would go out into the world to bear witness, to bear your light, 
to share your light. That what we know, that what we hear you say to us, you would also be able to say through us. Father, as we come to this table and as we come to eat your flesh and drink your blood and communion, Father, my prayer is that we would simply remember. That we would remember that we are changed. That we would remember that we are yours. You are the one. And we will not look for another. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.